ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Good morning. Welcome to AM. It's Thursday the 30th of November. I'm Sabra Lane coming to you from Nipaluna, Hobart. Australia's first strategy to bring about cultural change within the Defence Force and ultimately end family violence is being launched today. It'll mean better support and interventions for victims, thorough collection of data and a determination to shift attitudes about it. And it's a major problem for defence, with a new report showing the rate of emotional and physical violence inflicted and experienced within the forces and by veterans is considerably higher than the broader population. Here's political reporter Evelyn Manfield. Intimate partner violence is a major public health issue in Australia. Data released for the first time today shows it's even more prevalent among partners of current and former defence personnel. What we were seeing here is that the rates do appear to be sort of really significantly elevated in the veteran and current ADF. Sean Cowlishaw led a study examining emotional and physical intimate partner violence among nearly 9,000 current and former ADF members and nearly 1,000 of their partners. More than one in five current and recently departed personnel reported being exposed to violence themselves, but among their partners, that figure rose dramatically. Particularly the partners of veterans, um, it was about 45% who were reporting exposure to IPVs. Associate Professor Cowlishaw says it's hard to know why the rates of domestic violence in this group were higher than in the general population. We can speculate there is high, reasonably high levels of trauma exposure and we do know that when individuals leave the ADF, they actually enter a period of really high levels of um, sort of risk and vulnerability. While the data was mainly collected in 2015, the researchers are confident it still stands. Minister for Veteran Affairs and Defence Personnel Matt Keogh says something needs to change. Any level of family and domestic violence is bad, and particularly in this context, it's completely contrary to the defence values. Having this data from 2015 is really important, but we do need to make sure we're continuing to get a good sense of the data. Anecdotally, what gets reported back to us is there's a sense that there's a degree of underreporting of domestic violence in defence uh, by families, often because they're quite aware that their housing situation is linked to their service member that may be the perpetrator of that violence. But domestic violence touches all parts of the community. So far this year, an estimated 56 women have been violently killed in Australia. Ruby Wharton, a Gumaroy and Kumar woman, works for Sisters Inside, an organisation supporting criminalised women and girls. It's absolutely devastating that we still today in the year 2023 see so many women dying at the hands of their partners. Ruby Wharton says the conversation needs to give voice to the most marginalised, including First Nations women. We need to be focused on identifying the most silenced voices amongst our communities and our demographic and centre them at the forefront of these of these conversations and these initiatives. The federal government is today launching a new five-year strategy to prevent and respond to family and domestic violence linked to the ADF. Evelyn Manfield reporting there. And if you're in an abusive situation or you know someone who is, you can call 1800RESPECT. That's 1800-737-732. If it's an emergency, call 000. 
The Israeli military says Hamas has begun releasing another 12 hostages from the Gaza Strip. Around 30 Palestinians will be freed in exchange. It's the sixth swap under a ceasefire agreement between Israel and Hamas. Away from Gaza, violence continues on the West Bank. In and around the city of Tulkarem, Israeli forces have killed more than 50 Palestinians since the Hamas October the 7th attacks. The clashes are reverberating inside the city's refugee camp where Hamas has no presence, yet support for the militant group is growing there and across the West Bank by the week. Adam Harvey filed this report from the West Bank. Morning traffic in the crowded West Bank city of Tulkarem navigates a deep hole where a foul liquid bubbles from a shattered pipe. Camp official Nur al-Din says the road was ripped up by an Israeli bulldozer. Yeah, this is the sewage and this street is destroyed more than four or six times but the municipality, they rebuilt it again, again and they come again and destroyed it. Israel says it digs up the roads searching for IEDs. They destroyed everything, everything, they destroyed everything. Human, the streets, the building, everything in the way they destroyed it. More than 50 people have died in this district since October 7 during Israeli raids and airstrikes. Many were fighters with Fatah, the armed wing of the Palestinian Authority, which has the power in the West Bank. But since the war in Gaza began, there is growing support here too for Fatah's rival, Hamas. It's our right to resist and defend our land, says shopkeeper Ahmad Jayousi, whose store was demolished in a raid. And Hamas defends us and defends our land. Hamas once had little presence in the West Bank. Now the group's green flags are on show during the nightly release of prisoners, part of the deal between Hamas and Israel. And in the battleground of Tulkarem, among the debris of the Israeli raids, people speak openly of their support for the group. Yes, we are proud that Hamas did this, says Samar Shahada. Her 24-year-old son was a Fatah fighter who was killed two weeks ago in Tulkarem in an Israeli ambush. Video of the attack shows a special forces team repeatedly firing into his car. That's how the Palestinian people are. Each home offers two or three martyrs. We're used to this. She has little sympathy for the Israeli women and children killed by Hamas on October 7. We also had civilians killed. Almost all those killed are civilian. What are the children? Aren't they civilian too? The tension and fury here boiled over on Friday when two local men accused of collaborating with the Israeli military were murdered their bodies displayed in front of a cheering mob. This is Adam Harvey for AM in Tulkarem. A sharp jump in respiratory infections in China has many on edge with flashbacks to the height of the COVID pandemic and long lockdowns. Beijing has told the World Health Organisation the surge is being caused by a number of known illnesses with no suggestion of any new viruses. So what's going on? East Asia correspondent Kathleen Calderwood reports. A hospital waiting room overflowing with parents and children, IV drips hanging from the ceiling. Mums and dads rubbing the backs of their little ones or giving them a comfortable place to lay their heads while they wait to be seen. Images like this have flooded Chinese social media and appeared on state-run news bulletins as the country navigates a surge of respiratory illnesses during its first full winter after harsh COVID restrictions were lifted. I can absolutely understand people's concerns, particularly given it was in late 2019 that we were hearing about a 
undiagnosed pneumonia in China. That's Professor Philip Britton, a paediatric infectious diseases doctor from the University of Sydney Medical School. We are watching this closely. Uh, we know the WHO is watching it closely. As more information comes in, we'll be able to perform risk assessments uh, for Australia, but at the moment our sense is that the risk is not high. Last week, the World Health Organisation asked China for lab results and more epidemiology information, citing reports in the media and on monitoring service ProMed of clusters of undiagnosed pneumonia in children in the country's north. The next day, Chinese health authorities held a teleconference with the WHO and provided the information, showing increased hospital presentations and admissions due to RSV, adenovirus and influenza as well as a common pneumonia bacteria. Professor Britton says this presents a unique problem for China because of resistance to antibiotics. Look, all antimicrobial resistance is a concern. The truth is with this pathogen, however, that most of the treatment is not dependent on antibiotics. It's really about supportive care. For now, the world is watching as China's health system tries to stay on top of this outbreak. Professor of International Health Jaya Dantas from Curtin University says one benefit of the pandemic is systems are now better equipped to monitor future outbreaks. They have measures put in place for contact tracing, for monitoring, gathering of epidemiological data, and China is quite good in actually collecting that data and they have been doing so since the presentations in the last month or so. And according to Dr Carl Mingus from the University of New Haven, there's no reason at this stage to doubt the data coming out of China. I think China's aware that you know, the world's watching. So there's no reason to think that anything's being hidden. And most diseases that, that we're seeing are things that are pretty common after a period of extreme isolation. It's expected this wave could continue for some time yet. This is Kathleen Coldwood reporting from Taipei for AM. In the United States, prosecutors have accused an Indian government employee of directing a foiled attempt to assassinate an American citizen in New York City. The alleged targets a prominent supporter of an independent Sikh state. This incident comes just a couple of months after Canada's Prime Minister alleged potential Indian government involvement in the murder of a Sikh leader there. North America correspondent Jade McMillan has more. Well, this alleged plot, Sabra, is laid out in extraordinary detail in an indictment unsealed today in New York. It reveals that charges have been laid against an Indian man, Nikhil Gupta. He's described as previously having been involved in the trafficking of narcotics and weapons, and it's alleged that he was recruited by an unidentified employee of the Indian government who asked him to orchestrate the assassination of an American citizen in New York City. Now, the intended victim isn't named in this document, but the general counsel for the organisation Seeks for Justice, Gurpat Want Singh Panun, has told the ABC that he was the target. He is a well-known supporter of the Khalistan movement, which pushes for the establishment of an independent Sikh state, and he is considered a terrorist by the Indian government. The indictment alleges that this uh, Indian government employee agreed to pay a hitman $100,000 to carry out the killing, that Nikhil Gupta connected with someone on the ground who he believed could do it, but in reality they were an undercover agent working for US law enforcement and so the plot was foiled. Mr Gupta was arrested in the Czech Republic in June at the request of the United States and is currently awaiting extradition on charges of murder for hire 
and murder-for-hire conspiracy. And what's been the reaction to the claims? Well, Gurpit Want Singh Panun, uh, the intended target of this alleged plot, has released a statement. He says that this was a, quote, blatant case of India's transnational terrorism that challenges America's sovereignty. Now, some detail of this plot was reported last week. India's Ministry of External Affairs said ahead of this indictment being unsealed today that it had established a committee to look into these claims, that it takes such matters seriously. But it has previously strenuously denied the allegations made by Canada's Prime Minister only a couple of months ago when he alleged potential Indian government involvement in the murder of Canadian Sikh separatist leader Hardeep Singh Najjar. That Canadian case has led to a serious strain in the relationship uh, between Canada and India, The White House has said that the American allegations have been raised the highest levels of the Indian government. North America correspondent Jade McMillan. Australian Reserve Bank's aggressive interest rate hiking strategy appears to be over, yet rates will probably stay high until there's firm evidence inflation's under control. That's the forecast from the OECD, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development. It's now tipping if all goes to plan, interest rates will be cut from late next year. The good news from the Paris-based economic think tank comes hot on the heels of new figures showing the pace of inflation slowed more than expected last month, taking pressure off the RBA to keep lifting rates. Our senior business correspondent is Peter Ryan. Peter, why is the OECD so confident that the Reserve Bank's rate hikes have peaked? Well, Sabra, the OECD's global economic outlook is optimistic that inflation around the world is slowing. We saw evidence of that here in Australia yesterday, down but still high at 4.9%, but will get much lower by late 2025. Although the OECD's Secretary-General, Matthias Cormann, the former Australian Finance Minister, worries that inflation could turn out to be more persistent. But in the case of Australia, Mr Cormann thinks the Reserve Bank's cash rate has peaked at 4.35% after 13 hikes since May last year and will stay there until inflation gets back into the Reserve Bank's 2-3% target band. But after that, the OECD sees rate cuts of three-quarters of a percentage point from late next year. That's on the basis of those 13 rate hikes actually working, the economy slowing to 1.4% in 2024 and Australia's jobless rate rising to 4.5% by mid-2025. It's currently around 3.7%. Matthias Cormann was also cautiously confident that with inflation being brought under control and rate rises switching to rate cuts, a global recession can be avoided. Our current projections are consistent with a soft landing scenario. Indeed, in uh, most economies, we have inflation uh, coming down and, and converging on central bank targets by the end of 2025 and we are projecting that recessions uh, will be avoided uh, almost everywhere and and increases in unemployment from current levels are relatively modest. Having said that, you know, while we see an improvement when it comes to the prospects of a a soft landing, there is still some way to go and and there is risks are still very much tilted uh, to the downside. OECD Secretary-General Matthias Cormann speaking there in Paris. Peter, 
That's good news, hopefully, on inflation. But how concerned is the OECD about the Albanese government's lack of commitment to major economic reform? Well, Sabra, this is the big one. The OECD raises two big challenges for the Albanese government, both potentially politically toxic. Reducing superannuation tax breaks, legislation is about to be introduced, but also raising the goods and services tax, or the GST, that's raising the level and broadening the base to fund Australia's ageing population and the climate transition. The Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, doesn't buy into that urgency, but he does say the economic agenda aligns with key OECD recommendations all about a responsible budget and providing responsible cost of living relief that doesn't add to inflation. That's Peter Ryan. Meanwhile, the Treasurer and the government are under more pressure this morning to axe promised tax cuts slated for delivery next July. They're known as the Stage 3 tax cuts. They were legislated under the previous coalition government. Labor has promised to deliver them. Elizabeth Cramsey has this report. Yesterday's inflation figures might have been slightly better than expected, but that doesn't change the reality that prices are still rising fast. Casey Chambers is the Executive Director of Anglicare Australia. We are seeing more and more people, working families, come to us for assistance with their weekly groceries and weekly rent. The monthly consumer price indicator, which is one of the main measurements of inflation, has eased to a lower than expected 4.9%. But the rate was higher than that for important items like housing, food and non-alcoholic beverages. It's one reason why Anglicare is calling on the Labor government to scrap the planned Stage 3 tax cuts, which were passed under the previous coalition government. They're due to come into effect next year. Everyone earning between $45,000 and $200,000 will pay a tax rate of 30%. Casey Chambers says that means the rich will benefit the most. The average, the median Australian income of about 80000 people will get $33.65 back in their wage packets per fortnight. When we get to those people, those, those very high-income folk, across the year, they'll get $9,075. That's three, nearly $350 a fortnight. The cost of the Stage 3 cuts to the national budget is estimated at $243 billion over the next 10 years. Casey Chambers argues that money could go a long way in providing cost-of-living relief for people who need it most. Some economists like Dr Emily Mullane from Impact Economics argue the tax cuts will fuel inflation. By putting money back into the pockets of individuals and, to be clear, more money back into the pockets of individuals who are earning more, these create the circumstances for more spending and therefore more inflation. The economics is one thing, but then there's the politics. At the last election, Labor promised to stick with the tax cuts. Tony Barry is a political communications analyst with Redbridge Group. He says the government should not backtrack. Uh, Not if they want to win the next election. Trust is one of the most precious commodities in politics and uh, Albanese was unequivocal uh, prior to the election about his commitment to it. There's a risk that any changes will be a broken promise, and that goes to trust. Former Liberal advisor and political communications analyst Tony Barry finishing that report from Elizabeth Cramsey. That's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lang. 
Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, host of the ABC News Daily Podcast. It was the Australian dream to own a home and a block of land. But while that was once very achievable, it's not anymore. Today, the ABC's finance guy, Alan Kohler, who's written a quarterly essay about the housing market on why anyone born after 1980 is on the wrong side of history. Look for the ABC News Daily Podcast on the ABC Listen app.